You are listening to the DOCUS podcast, brought to you by the Irish support agency New South Wales, a podcast designed to promote the mental health and well-being of the Irish community in Australia. Each month, we will explore a different aspect of mental health and well-being, guided by the latest evidence and facilitated by an expert in the field. Please support us by liking, subscribing and sharing. Enjoy the episode. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to December's episode of our DOHAS uh, webinar and podcast series. My name is Cahill, and I'm part of the Mental Health and Wellbeing Group for the Irish Support Agency. Before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge that I'm hosting this webinar from the lands of the Gadigal people. I would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which you are all gathered here. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Dohus will be brought to you on the first Monday of each month with each episode dealing with a different aspect of health and well-being. All of our previous episodes can be found on the ISA YouTube channel and we do plan to introduce these as podcast series on Spotify very soon. If you have any questions throughout the chat, please pop them in the chat box down below but we will have time for questions at the end of the conversation. Tonight, with the festive season approaching, we'll be reflecting on alcohol, its cultural significance to us, the Irish community, and how we can recognise problem drinking in ourselves and others. Alcohol can not only affect our physical health, but it can also significantly impact our mental and emotional well-being. People may feel down or lonely over the Christmas and drinking alcohol can make things worse. The relationship between alcohol and mental health is complex. Some people may drink to cope with daily stress, which is understandable given the temporary numbness that it gives us. But in the long run, it can cause anxiety and increase stress. Alcohol can negatively impact our thoughts, feelings and actions and contribute and even worsen to existing mental health issues we already have. So, Joan, Geraldine and Melissa, thanks very much for joining us here tonight. Um, Geraldine, I'll start with you. Can you please tell us a bit about your own journey um, so far and, and with alcohol? Hi, Cal. First of all, thank you very much for having me on here. It's an honour and it's always good to talk about um, my addiction. Um, I feel it, it's just a very sensitive subject and lots of people are not comfortable talking about it, especially women and especially mothers, um, I find. But um, I'm in sobriety now just over eight years and it probably took me seven years before I could openly talk about what I had actually um, been through. So I'm a very grateful recovering alcoholic who definitely reached her rock bottom and um, I had to do something about it because as you say, it affects your mental health. And I thought I was going absolutely insane. And kind of looking back now, um, I didn't stop till I was 44, but looking back now, even to my late teens, I could see patterns there where my drinking wasn't really normal. 
Um, of course, I didn't see that then. But looking back and learning a lot about my condition, I can actually see it now. I'm also, uh, I should say, married um, 31 years and we have three children, one here in Australia, where I'm visiting at the minute, one in London and one uh, at home in Belfast. So um, thankfully, I've got the support of all my family as well. All right, good on you. Fair play to you uh, after seven years to come out and be open about it. Um, yeah. You were saying you, in, your, in your late teens, you, you could kind of already notice that it was not normal compared to everyone else. Was there something happened in your life before that? that was, there, was there trauma or genetic? Was it... Do you know, to be quite honest, and this is only my personal opinion, but I honestly think it's genetic. I think it's hereditary. And I do believe that I was always going to be alcoholic. It's just whenever I was going to realise at what position in my life that, that I was in. Because whenever um, you go back and kind of do a lot of soul searching, you realise things that you have in common with other alcoholics from your a young child, from primary school days, things I felt in primary school days, um, the, the fear even back then, the anxiety, um, not feeling I belonged, lots of things, um, kind of always trying to punish yourself and trying to be better, um, all related, I feel, to you know my disease coming to its head. But um, my parents themselves don't drink. My father and mother, you know, don't drink alcohol, never did. But there is alcoholism in my father's family. There's three alcoholics. And there is one, my mommy's sister was alcoholic. And whenever I was very young growing up, my mommy just always said to me, you're your Aunt Maureen all over. And I was about six, seven. So she wasn't mean an alcoholic then, but I knew there was some kind of trait that I was like, my Aunt Maureen, and then I grew up to find out Aunt Maureen was an alcoholic, but she did find sobriety. And thankfully she never went, went back to alcohol, you know. Um, uh, she is dead now, she died sober, which is lovely. So I definitely feel it's hereditary. I do think that there is traumas that lead to drinking heavier as well. That there's no doubt in that whatsoever. And probably when it came to the end of my drinking, um, I had hit a bit of a trauma. And I, that's whenever everything kind of just came out and there was no, there was no hiding it, Cahill. Yeah, right. And so I can imagine if you, both your parents didn't drink, it would have been even harder for them looking at you late teens, early adults. Um, yeah. Into, so how, how did that play out? When did they... I mean, Everything was, was head even back then, you know, and you were like, like drinking down your room. But when I went out, I went out to get drunk. But to me, that wasn't abnormal because that's what all my friends were doing as well. You know, you were young people and you were going out to these discos, dances, clubs, whatever, and you were drinking. There was no pre-drinking like they do now, but I would have had to have a few weeks something of Dutch courage before I went out anywhere. In fact, I started going out with my husband at 19 and he never saw me sober for a full three months of dating me. You'd wonder how he stuck around, but he is, he's still there 31 years later, yes. you know. So yeah, there was a lot of rows going on in the house. Um, you were sneaking in and, you know, there were certain nights and see you were drunk and it was very much hiding it from my daddy because he would have went crazy, you know. So it was very much just all get to bed, say nothing and stay out of it. Because I mean, there was alcohol in the house for visitors. But it wasn't, it wasn't a thing to drink in our house whatsoever, you know. And whenever it came, I know you're going to talk about that in a minute, but when it came actually to 
as I call it, like D-Day, when I finally said, I can't do this anymore. Um, my parents were completely shocked. They hadn't a clue that I was even a heavy drinker, let alone drinking alcoholically. So, uh, How old were you then when? So uh, 44. Really? Right. 44, yeah. Um, and, you know, just they they had to find out because I was just so desperate that whenever I contacted my husband, he rang me on that particular day. I'll never forget it. It was a Tuesday and he rang and he just said, I don't know what to do. I just, I can't do this anymore. I need help. And they, they come up. And I mean, I was, the only way I could put it at that last week was having a complete nervous breakdown. You know, I couldn't. I was just literally lying on the floor with a pair of rosary beads and that was all I can kind of comprehend. And I can remember mommy saying, you know, I have five daughters and out of the five of them, I never thought I had to worry about you. You were the one that had it all together. You see, Cahal, I was an amazing actress, you know. And, you must have been. Yeah, an amazing actress and alcoholics are the biggest liars. I hate saying that. And I mean, I brought the children all my life saying, doesn't matter what you do, tell the truth. You know, never lie, always come out and tell the truth. And I was then in our family circle, the biggest liar out trying to hide this, this compulsive drinking that, that I was doing. So they hadn't a clue. And you know, as well as that, my husband didn't know I was alcoholic. And I know people find that very, very hard to believe. He knew I loved to drink and he knew I was a daily drinker and I drank wine every day. But he didn't know to the extent when it came to, you know, kind of the last couple of years, he hadn't a clue to the extent I was drinking. And I had it hid everywhere as alcoholics do. We get very, very clever um, where we hide alcohol. And, you know, again, did I ever try to stop? Yes, many times. And it was actually probably the only family member that was ever concerned about my drinking was Emma, my daughter that I'm over with here. <clears throat> and when she was in Australia, she could see in FaceTime that, you know, I wasn't looking right. My eyes weren't right. I was I was typing things. I was texting. I was making spelling mistakes. She could see all this. But at home, when they were with me, they couldn't they couldn't see that. You know, yeah. I had got to be very depressed and didn't really interact much with the family and went to bed early and things like that. But before she left for Australia, she would have said, Mommy, you, you know, you're drinking every evening and I don't think that's normal. But again, Cahill, lots of my friends, lots of professional women that I knew well were drinking wine every evening like I was. They weren't alcoholic and they still aren't alcoholic. So um, she would say, look, please try and just, just even not have any from a Sunday night to a Wednesday night. And I would do that. But I hated it. You see all day on a Monday, the anxiety inside me because I wasn't, you know, even for an alcoholic, even the very thought of having a drink that evening kept me going all day. Yeah. So I didn't have that. I didn't have that. And I would go to bed early and I'd be very cranky and very crap and I wasn't very nice to be around. And then I couldn't wait till Wednesday night comes. So I did do it, but I didn't like doing it and I couldn't wait till the Wednesday night came. And then a month would pass and I'd be drinking every night again, like after one week of just doing that. So it was all those kind of patterns um, that actually emerged. But when it came to the point of me saying, I need help, I'm alcoholic, my husband honestly couldn't believe what I was saying, which is insane. That's unbelievable. Like you, it's literally hard to believe that. Uh, yeah, you, you I wasn't out. Help. If I was out 
I behaved myself. I was yeah. very careful because I didn't want anybody seeing or me getting drunk in front of anybody. All my drinking was done in secret. But by the stage I came out, I was drinking 24 seven and it wasn't working anymore. So like my husband could have come in from work. I was still working, working from home. I never lost my job. And I could have had two bottles of wine drank. I would have been cooking the dinner. And I know people find this hard to believe, but I'm, I'm going to be as honest. This is what, you know, happened. I could have been cooking the dinner and he would come in and I would just, you know, say a few words, talk kind of half normally. Um, and I knew I was very sad. Emma had left to go to studio and I knew I was very upset. And it was just all this, mommy's very depressed because, you know, Emma's not here anymore. So on. So the act just came in on me again. And the drink, the alcohol wasn't working anymore. So you never actually felt drunk. That's what happens at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unreal. So you you, you had the, the breakdown, as you said, and you, mm-hmm. your husband called your parents over. What was the the journey like from there, I suppose? For, from did, was, Yeah. Was the last <clears throat> well, the reason, the reason I rang him was, <clears throat> and this is what alcohol, it's what it does, because I work with alcoholics um, a lot. And, you know, it seems to be the same pattern. You're, you're ready for the end. So I didn't know how to stop drinking. I hadn't a clue how I would ever do, you know, with her alcohol, but I couldn't keep living the way I was drinking. Inside my head was complete insanity. I couldn't, I mean, I visited monks, I visited priests. I never left the doctor saying, what is wrong with me? I am so depressed. You know, to go from the person I was, what was wrong? Never once can't think that it was alcohol. Um, you know, it's insane to think that. I never once thought it was the alcohol causing the depression, but it came to this particular week and the suicidal thoughts were just massive in my head. And as I say, it was a Tuesday when I rang my husband and the reason I rang them was because I thought the thing that I was about to do or going to do was going to be successful. And I knew if it was successful, there was no coming back. And I got terrified. I really, I, I really believe that everybody around me, my children, my parents, my husband, um, all my sisters and all my friends would be so much better if I wasn't here anymore, wasn't in their lives, simply because they wouldn't have to worry. Now, remember, half of them didn't have a clue. None of them had a clue that this was all going on in my head. But this is the whole insanity of it. The other thing I want to point out is the selfishness of an alcoholic. Because when I didn't want to be here anymore, I wrote letters and in all of those red letters to the different individuals, the, the same pattern saying, um, I can't believe that I'm going to miss your graduation. I can't believe that I'm going to miss your wedding. I can't believe that I'm going to miss, you know, you having your first baby. It was all per me. I'm going to miss all these things because I'm not going to be here anymore. Never once did I even think, what's the children going to do with all on those days without you? How are the children going to tell that their mother isn't here anymore? Um, um, that they, sorry, sure. yes, the, how, how are the children going to actually say um, to other people, my mother committed suicide? So, you know, I had to deal with all that looking back on that. That's how real it was. And I was so frightened that it was going to happen, it's going to work. And I do believe that so many people try things out of desperation because of the way that I was feeling, but they didn't really want to do it. And some people, unfortunately, it's too late, you know. So when I, I telephoned my husband, and I just said, can you come home? And that's how he found me on the floor with the rosary beads. And I told him exactly what I, I had planned to do. And um, he just said, 
he, he was shocked because he didn't realise that things were this bad. And he said, I need help here. And that's when he rang the parents and that's where the thing went. And how, I mean, that was a Tuesday and I kept drinking right on through to the Thursday night. Um, Cahal. So my father and mother talked to me. They'd never had, you know, alcohol. So they didn't know anything about it. But my daddy did say there was a great man. He knew he was in his 70s and that he knew this man would be able to help me. He got me the man's number and he gave it to me. But it's like everything else, I had to want that help. So that man couldn't ring me, you know? Mm, yeah. And I came to the, I mean, I just kept drinking on the Wednesday. And on the Thursday night, all of my sisters arrived up unannounced. Um, and I was upstairs in the bedroom and I was like drinking. I had my wine head at the side of the bed and I was drinking away at my wine. And I can remember my husband shouting up saying, Geraldine, your, your sisters are here, every bloody one of them. And the four sisters come in and they literally, one of them just strapped me to a chair and she said, this can't go on. We've heard what's going on and everything else and you must get better. And they said they were signing me in somewhere, you know, and I, I just, I wasn't taking any of it in. And they said that, that was it. And I can remember texting all that night saying, please don't let them put me away. If they put me away, I'll never, I'll never come out of you and I'll, I'll be insane forever. And she said, I promise you, I will not let them put you anywhere. So I knew I had my mummy's love, my mummy's trust. And I woke up the next morning on Friday morning. I said, you have two choices here. You drink today and you die or you don't take a drink and you live. And can I say every 15 minutes was torture because whenever my, my drinking, I got that bad when my husband went out for work, six o'clock in the morning, I had a little bottle and a glass hit underneath like a, you know, the valance sheet. And I had to have a half a glass of wine before I could put my two feet out of the bed to set myself up to go and get the, the other children ready for school. That's literally the way it was. And the one thing I do, I did, I do remember and it kind of haunts me as well is um, on the Thursday night when my sisters come up, came up, my son, he was just 18 then, he was doing his A-levels and he came down the stairs and he was, you know, crying and he said to them, you're too late. You're, you should have been up, you should have helped mummy long time ago, you're too late. So he had seen things I didn't realise he'd seen, Carol. Mm. You know, he'd obviously seen that I was secretly drinking and he knew I was depressed and everything went with it. And that broke my heart to hear that. So that was the next morning I decided that's it. And every 15 minutes I rang the, the guy that daddy put me in touch with. He said to me, ring me every hour. And I rang him every hour throughout the Friday and said, I haven't had a drink. Next hour, I haven't had a drink. And as the day went on, I couldn't believe I'd done three hours, four hours, five hours, you know. And that wee fella I'm telling you about, Shay, he got into the car with me and we drove down to my parents' house. And this man in the 70s who I'd never met came up to my parents and lifted me and took me to an AA meeting. I hadn't a clue what I was doing. I was just sitting there. When I finished that AA meeting, he left me back home to my parents. And I, the car lights came in and I got to the door. My son ran out to the door. He gave me a massive puff. He said, I'm so proud of you for going to that meeting. And I just cried and I thought, how can you be proud of your mother? I'm just after saying in a meeting, my name's Jordan and I'm an alcoholic. Because I did say that because I knew it was. And I had no problem saying that the first night. I was desperate for hope, desperate for anything. And I, I just, the fact that he loved me and was proud of me for doing that just meant everything. And that was it. I'd never had an alcoholic drink from that day. Right, that was it. So that was nearly a turning point, your son telling you that he was so proud of you after coming out of the meeting. Absolutely. Unbelievable. Absolutely, you know. So, 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 
Sorry, yeah. Carl. No, just when, when you were writing those letters, you know, and you were saying it was selfish and, and you were the alcoholics or whoever it is. But I suppose really it's it's not the person, it's not the true person that's writing them. It's it's the alcohol. I'm guessing you were drunk writing them as well, were you? Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Looking back now, my husband burnt them. He found them. Right. And he burnt them because I went on to tell him I wrote letters and he said I found them and I burnt them. You know, he never, ever let me see the letters. Yeah. But no one, and kind of vaguely remembering what I put on them, you know, I felt a little bit shame because I was so selfish. But that wasn't, again, that was the sick person, the alcoholic person. Exactly. That, wasn't, yeah. that wasn't me now. And, you know, at least I can, I, I can fully admit that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would you say some of the misconceptions are there around alcohol addiction? I suppose that what you've just already touched on is the fact that not everybody has to know that the person is an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I will say is if you're alcoholic and if you're addicted, um, you cannot have the odd drink. Mm. You know, it cannot happen. And as I say, I work with alcoholics and I work with them nearly on a, on a daily basis. And they are, a lot of them have this illusion that I'll cut down, I'll go off it for a while and I'll cut down and then the drink, the alcoholic drink becomes um, effective again. If you are alcoholic, and nobody can tell you you are, but if you really are and you admit it, it's not the fifth, the sixth, the seventh drink that does you harm. You know, we hear people saying, I wish I had stopped at that one bottle of wine because then after that, I wouldn't have said this and I wouldn't have felt embarrassed. For an alcoholic, it's not like that. It's the first drink, it's the first sip. Once you get that sip, there's no going back. You will keep drinking basically until you either pass out or whatever you do. So you cannot get by that. You cannot drink normal. We're not, we're not normal. It's as simple as that. I am not a normal drinker and I will never be able to go to your house or anybody's party and have like a watered down alcohol drink and think I'd be okay because I would be right back on it again. And they say the second time is a thousand times worse. Now I almost didn't survive the first time so I will never ever take that risk. And I've often said and I still say it for me to drink again, it would be for me to die. I could not take the hope that I'd give the family. My, my um, children are, they're, they're in a really happy home now. You know, I made a house a happy home again that it used to be many years ago. I went to AA that first night and that is how I got my hope. I'd done the 12 steps of recovery. The therapy in it is people would be paying thousands of pounds for it. It's absolutely amazing therapy. I know not all meetings are good meetings and I and I always say that but I found the real good people and the real good meetings there was no woman back then in my meetings and I used to go around with these Pat the guy um, who was an elderly man would have looked at me and some of his friends would have been in all very very good good people and I used to say to my husband does it not bother you all these different jeeps and everyone pulling up and taking me away to these meetings he said I'd send you a busload of them if I thought it would keep you sober and that was his answer so that trust was there you know, you have to have that, you have to have that yeah. support. You have to, you can't have somebody sitting beside you and you've just stopped drinking, pouring away at their beer and thinking, oh, you'll be all right. Everything changes in the house. And when I say I had to learn to do everything from the start, I didn't know how to make a phone call without alcohol. My hands were shaking making my first phone call when I wasn't drinking. It is a journey, but to give up one thing in your life to gain so much and to gain everything, get a second chance at life. It's so worth it. So I'm a big advocate for alcohol and honest for AA. Mm. Fair play to you. Thanks a million for being so honest. That's a 
pretty impressive story, to be honest with you. Thank you, Cahill. Um, Joan, we'll move on to you for the time being. Um, can you tell us, are you there, Joan? You are. I am here, thank you. So can you tell us a bit about yourself and the work you do at Foundation House? Sure. Um, I'll start off. Jeez, uh, Geraldine, thank you so much for your story. It's so inspiring and um, it takes a lot of courage. So you're a very courageous uh, woman. So thank you for that. Um, all right. So uh, I've been Foundation House is a residential uh, program for drugs, alcohol and gambling. I've been working in the sector uh, for over, you know, 15 years in both um, government and NGO uh, sector. Came to Foundation House about seven years ago. Prior to that, I, I worked with more harm minimization um, um, services. Uh, so seven years ago when I came to Foundo, abstinence was all, all a bit new for, for me. But I'm still here, so I, I absolutely love it. And I've seen stories like uh, Geraldine's every day, and it, and, it, and it makes this job one of the best bloody jobs uh, going. Um, so Foundation House, we're a little bit unique insofar as we service the construction industry. So we're a um, workplace intervention. So our clients come to us from the construction industry. They're usually referred by um, maybe a, a delegate on site who's recognized an individual might be struggling um, with um, substance use or gambling, um, which is a whole other, whole other webinar, I, I imagine. Um, and they, um, they'll, they'll come to us for either residential support so the 28 days, or they'll come to us for what we call outreach. So they may have a really stable environment and they might be working and they might just be able to reach their, um, their, their, their goal, um, you know, so that separation from alcohol, but we're just doing outreach cancer. Um, and um, yeah, so that's, in 2009, we introduced females to the program. It was a male-only program prior to that. Um, when I came to Foundo, um, uh, women were coming into the program um, at a, a lot less rate than what males were. Um, but in the last three years, we've seen um, a really good mixture between males and females accessing the, the service, which is really good to see. Um, in addition to that, we also offer a mental health and well-being um, inter intervention called Foundo Blue. And what that does is that captures people who are um, out on sites um, who are struggling with mental health or suicidality. Now, the beauty of that is we get to work with these individuals, possibly be when there's no substance use involved, or maybe just be, they might have started using alcohol or drugs or gambling in order to, to cope with um, their mental health. Um, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's me. <laughs> so just as, as you were talking there, so I work in construction, well, I'm in and out of it at the minute. And I'm sure you know, we have pre-start meetings every morning and a lot of the 
that you said there now was ringing. I was like, oh, that sounds familiar. That sounds familiar. So I have heard about a lot of the stuff and it's just clicking for me now. So it's alcohol, drugs and gambling, any sort of addiction really that you do. Absolutely. So um, what we recognize, so back in, um, there was a, 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 a champion called Pat Carr and she'd recognized that in particular alcohol was quite problematic in construction sites and construction workers were dying and uh, getting into um, workplace incidences from alcohol use. And she was the pioneer to get this intervention and get some support. Um, so what happened um, when they started testing uh, people when they were um, attending for work, we re they realized, well, if we're going to test people, we need to have a place for them to go to get support. So that was really important that, that, that we had that. And, and that's where we came around um, and we opened up. In three years ago, we were asked to step into the mental health side of, of the support. So we've been doing drugs and alcohol for 20 plus years. Um, but just in the last three years, we started this Found Old Blue intervention. And it's really important. Um, it's also for the family members of. So what we recognize is you have people turning up under incredible stress and um, in, in the family home and they're turning up for work and it might be one of their loved ones that has the, the issue with drugs, alcohol or gambling and that's where we, we intervene as well. Right, great stuff. Um, so even from my own experience in construction, uh, going for beers after work on a Friday is normalized. It's probably the best word to say. Absolutely. And even I've noticed that myself, uh, well, I drink very rarely now, but even say at the, at the end of a bank holiday or, or a long weekend, there is genuine pressure on there. Like I, I feel bad sometimes, like I really should be going. This is my mind telling me I should be going because there's so much pressure on. But what would you say to someone who kind of wants to pull back away from that um, and not feel like they're going to be left out or, you know, pulling away from the camaraderie? Well, that's a tough one, Cahill. Um, because it is, uh, we are social beings and, and we love that connection, um, you know, with our, with our mob, you know, and, um, and, and certainly drinks at the end of a day it sounds like a great idea. And for many it is, and, and it can be, and, and not cause harm. Um, when, it's, it's one of the issues that a lot of people who come into the program have a lot of fear around what it's going to be like for me when I when I finish here and I go back to the workforce. Um, and because there's a huge stigma as well, you know, and, and, and it's that fear and that stigma that can um, make that really difficult for people to one even look for help. Um, but going back to in. It, it is, it's a tricky one and it, it takes, you know, a lot of courage for a person to go, um, you know, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to the pub. Can we, can we do a different activity? Can we, you know, um, can we connect on, on, you know, in a different social setting because I'm not going to go to the pub, you know, I, I'm not drinking anymore or I'm trying to reduce mm. my drinking. And we have had individuals who've done that and, 
And the, like I said before, this fear of, you know, how how is that going to land on people? And surprising for some, they've come back and gone, I couldn't believe that my colleagues, my comrades, were actually really supportive of that and didn't realise that alcohol had been problematic for them. And they just assumed that, you know, that, 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 that they would be able to connect in the pub. But once you start that conversation, more people actually are kind of cheering them and taking their hat off for them. Yeah, nice. And I suppose even the the no alcohol beers now as well. I, well, that's an I, interesting they, one. Yeah, they're they're like they taste the exact same, so you can still go, you can drive to the pub and have a couple of non-alcoholic beers and drive home. Absolutely, and and these non-alcoholic beverages have become quite popular. They're not just in beer. I believe it's in spirits and 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 wines and cocktails and 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 whatnot. So I guess someone could do it. My 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 fear or or where I would have um, a conversation with somebody is that if they were drinking at a at a problematic, um, you know, if their if their drinking was really problematic. A separation from going to the pub might be might help them, you know, uh, because like Geraldine mentioned, she could go a couple of days, um, you know, and then, you know, within within a week would be back to that problematic drinking, you know, at a rate. So my, my only concern would be for, for an individual who is who, who alcohol, alcohol is causing harm. Um, you know, to have a bit of uh, therapy or treatment and have a separation before they um, adventure with. But where the non-alcoholic beverages are very handy is for those people who just want to, you know, cut down on their drink and have recognised that, you know, I've been hitting it a little bit hard lately. I'm going to go dry July or I'm going to, you know, have these these this separation. Yeah. I hope you answered your question. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Because, yeah, well, I was kind of coming from the angle of if they weren't, if they didn't have a problem, but if someone has a problem, they're not going to suddenly start going and drinking alcoholic beers. Like you said there, they're going to need some, most likely, some extra help beforehand. Yeah. There have been those who have, who have, who are in recovery and say have, you know, a 10, 20 year recovery and have drank some of the non alcoholic beverages and, um, you know, and, and that's that's worked for them. Mm. Each and every one is, is, is different, eh? Yeah. Yeah. So would you say the construction industry is more at risk of alcohol abuse and misuse than others, or what's your opinion on that? Oh, look, sector-wide, so and service-wide, um, alcohol is by far the number one presentation of, of harm uh, when, we, when we're talking drugs um, and, and gambling, you know, alcohol is number one. Globally, alcohol is number one. So I think it's not, um, you know, unique to the construction industry. What, what we find, though, is that construction workers um, work really long hours. Uh, in particular, Irish construction workers come Mad over. for money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's overtime and it's long hours. So, you know, when they um, finish for the night, especially if they're, you know, living in isolation, so, you know, living alone, um, they, you know, can have a few beers then to help them, you know, 
relax, go to sleep, uh, you know, and then and then before they know it, it's um, you know when they're not working these long hours, what what the you know what mm. do they do then with their time? How do they fill up that 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 time? You know, when they're not um, when they're not working. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, that that's 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 what um, that's what we've 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 experienced. Yeah, that was a I, I can relate to that as well in the sense that I, I I did go through the long hours and mad for money and drinking every weekend, and then uh, when it did come to the weekend, there was literally well in my head there was nothing else to do. You know, I had no hobbies. Um, all my friends were most likely at the pub, so. Any time that I did sit in out of it, I was just, I felt, I actually felt lonely because I was like, all my friends are in the pub. There's nothing to do, even though there's a, <laughs> but, um, 100%, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just when you're caught in the long hours during the week, uh, lifestyle, and then, uh, yeah, it just, yeah, yeah. Look for hobbies or do anything else or have time for other activities outside of work with. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, and you know, in, in that social scene, like, you know, going to the pub and listen to bands or, you know, if that's your thing, you know, um, everything, everything we do in Australia is, is, you know, revolves around alcohol. There's, there's, it's really difficult to get away from it, you know, alcoholic gambling, you know, it's, it's really challenging to get away from it. Mm, for sure. So, um, from your experience in Foundation House and in general, would you say what would you say are the root triggers or causes um, for alcohol abuse? Um, so, like you know, we we've touched on it a wee bit insofar as in construction, um, there's an expectation that you take whatever work is going, um, and for for. For the, what what we see, our number one presentation when we're working with clients, apart from alcohol, is relationship breakdowns. So you have a person who's working, you know, six days a week, you know, ten, ten hour days, it, and that's and that's being generous and so far being kind, should I say, you know, they have, you know, family, uh, they come home. Um, and then when they come home, they're absolutely exhausted. So it's having a few drinks just to cope and relax. But the person at home's been waiting with the kids and wants a bit of support. And it's nearly easier to do longer hours and work longer at work than it is to come home and manage the arguments or the relationships or the stress of, you know, looking after the kids. So we, we, we notice that that happens quite a bit. Um, and I'd also, you know, the communication style that happens on the construction side doesn't translate really well in back in the in the family home, you know, and how you, you know, um, so that can really cause a lot of um, relationship breakdowns within within that that dynamic. Mm. Um, the other, obviously, trauma. When I say obviously trauma, you know, trauma and. Um, um, you know, is 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 you know is obviously really prevalent in the clients um, that we have here at Fando and um, and loneliness and and isolation. You know, 
Um, obviously, mental health, you know, is, is a huge factor. A lot of people use alcohol. It works really, really well. So it starts off um, where it, you know, allows a person to socialize, to go and ask for that job, to go and ask for that pay rise or, you know, to put themselves out there. It's it works really well until it stops working really well mm, yeah even Geraldine kind of touched on that as well earlier yeah yeah so can you talk to us a bit about the the program that you guys run at foundation house and is it when you go there is it like complete abstinence from alcohol or what way does it work it is it is so yes so the 28 days it's it's an intensive 28 day program um, we are a multidisciplinary team insofar as we have uh, staff with a lived experience um, and we have staff who are social workers, um, psychotherapists and the, the, the programme you are allocated a, a counsellor where you'll work one on one with around you know, your alcohol use. The program itself, the model of care is a combination between the 12 step um, abstinence program and acceptance commitment therapy and why we like com acceptance commitment therapy it just it's a beautiful language and it, and it just works really really well with the 12-step model they really they they complement one another and we, we um, do like group work so psychoeducational groups on uh, feelings on boundaries on um, you know what might have um, you know like relationship styles and that and then we have step groups so the program is worked on the first three steps of the 12-step uh, the program and we go to meetings at night and where this is really great is that we get to introduce people uh, like you know Geraldine mentioned you know when you go to those groups and you're with people who may have a little bit of time and all of a sudden when you you see that hope that Bloody hell, if they can do it, you know, I can do it too. You hear the, your story in someone else's story. You have that non-judgmental acceptance that, you know, you aren't a shit person, that, you know, you've just been, you know, drinking and or drugging or gambling. And, you know, um, and that had, has taken away the person that that you want to be and that 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 is there. You hear, I hear, you know, um, you know, clients say things like, you know, I forgot who I was. And by having that separation and, and being in, in, in the program, they start to look in the mirror and actually like the person who's looking back at them. And, you know, when they arrive in on day one, man, it takes a hell of a lot of courage to walk through those gates and, you know, and surrender and, and say, look, you know, um, I'm broken, you know, I, I, I don't, like I think I heard Geraldine say, if, if she didn't stop then, it was, it was living or dying, you know, and she made a, a decision, I'm going to start living, and, and, and that takes a lot, of, a lot of courage, so, but to see them then throughout the 28 days, it's amazing what can happen, and all of a sudden you see a person, and the hoodie's off, or the beard is shaved, there's a sparkle back in their eye and they're graduating and it, it, it really is, you know, a really cool program. But I think one of the most important components of our program is 
the we do a um, a relapse prevention Wednesday night barbecue. And that's where we invite ex-residents or our alumni that we refer to them to come back and we cook up the current residents will cook, cook up a barbecue and then we have a um, an ID around the room and we have a meeting and we and it's like based on a the topic will be on on a on a, on a relapse prevention kind of theme. But there's nothing like watching 60, 70 people come back every single Wednesday night and share their strength and hope and their love, you know, within this community, because that's what it is. It's, you know, it's a community and uh, you get the hives coming in and it, the camaraderie is, is amazing. It's that support. So it doesn't matter what, you know, education we've all had or the skills we've had. There's nothing like that um, alumni and the strength and the, and the message that they give and the support that they give. So that can, helps us with that continuation of care because 28 days flies and those who come back and stay connected um, change their life and they get the gifts of recovery as they, as they like to refer to them as. Yeah, amazing. I can, uh, well, that's exactly how, what it sounded like when you were telling the story there. It sounded like a real sense of well, fair enough coming in first and it being lonesome and um, even scary, but then the camaraderie and the community, it nearly like there's a sense of family out there by the sounds of things. I can, I Absolutely. And it's got to be safe. You know, we, we this uh, this uh, foundation house is somewhere where you go, you're going to want to send your, your, your son, your daughter, your mum, your dad, your brother, your sister. You know, you're, you're, you're sending your loved one into this program to get to get well, you know, to to have, you know, as I said, that separation from, um, you know, from from whatever it is that, that that's causing them the harm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, play. I can see why you said it's uh, one of the best jobs. In the best jobs. Very <laughs> fulfilling. It is, it is. Please, thanks a million for sharing that with us, Joan. Um, we'll move on to Melissa. So, hello, Melissa, how are you? Hello, how are you doing? I'm raging, I have to go last. Their stories were unreal. <laughs> I have to cut what I say. <laughs> I'm sure yours will be just as good. Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> Here, thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to come on anyway. Um, no but Ger Geraldine, um, your story is brilliant. I was about to cry. It was only like half eight in the morning. <laughs> so, and um, the work that uh, Foundation House does so meaningful and just to have such a positive impact on so many people. That's brilliant, Joan. So fair play to both of these. But um, may the best to last then now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you, if you want to tell us a bit about your story, Melissa, and uh, your story with alcohol. Yeah, so um, I, um, I'm not even 30 yet, I'm nearly 30, but um, just from, even just whenever I was about 16 or 17, just couldn't wait to start drinking and going out, like 
just I think it was kind of the same as loads of people where I lived um couldn't wait to just go out and get drunk and everything and now looking back it's, it's just so mad even thinking like that but um I suppose I was probably somebody that drank never ever ever suited I was always the most visibly drunk person in the whole of the venue that I was like anyone that knows me would probably agree with that and um but I just never really cared just I whatever that's the way it is and I had so many good friends that would have just been like oh Melissa like what are you doing and this doesn't suit you and you're such a good girl and I'd have just oh yeah sure what odds and like it's grand and never really thought that much about it and because I think as well though I wasn't really doing anything any different to anyone else like going out every weekend drinking and so was everyone else and then I it was just like a vicious circle it was just constantly you know every weekend or whatever and then went to university and started working and everything. And then I went to Australia. So I probably drank, drank absolutely loads in Australia. And it was it was kind of the norm for me over there every weekend, maybe Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and just absolutely couldn't be looked at Monday to Thursday at work. <laughs> like I was just so tired all the time and just definitely probably head was not in a good place. But I, I really didn't think um I was doing anything wrong. But um I I suppose just a lot of people that they would have just if they'd seen me out or whatever they just would have thought god you you're really so much better without drink this does nothing for you so I think um when I came home from Australia and, and then COVID and everything happened so I came home just before COVID like a couple of months before and I kind of obviously you weren't really going out or anything then so I wasn't really drinking as much or anything still the odd time maybe and I had kind of just thinking a bit more about it like god I have so much more energy now that I'm, I'm not out every weekend and I can go to the gym now I I tried to lose weight for about 15 years and couldn't do it because it's just a constant like drinking and then eating crap all week and not organized and not no energy to do and I, I go to the gym or even go outside or anything I was lying in bed but um I would have I had far more energy and I just kind of thought god this is really good like this is and so like your head was so clear and, and everything and then I think the last kind of um it was one of the last times that I was like in a pub drinking I had so excited all week for my friends coming up from Dublin couldn't wait to see them I'd met them in Australia and couldn't wait and I just thought oh right the girls won't know anyone here I need to you know like they'll know me and, and they'll be grand so um all week couldn't wait all, I'll not drink too much because you know the girls are just up and I can't wait to get chatting to them all night but Saturday came I don't even remember going to the public like I just got rode off in the house before we went and went up to the bar and there was like it was my local pub and there was a band singing and I was just a complete menace like that whole night didn't sit with the girls once and the band actually left early because of me because I kept going up and taking the microphone taking the microphone taking his tin whistle and like everything and they actually were like no we're we're out of here so So the band the band the band left because exactly I know and it was COVID so I had the man's tin whistle and he was going mad because obviously uh, all that there so it was just a complete just a menace and then I um had I went home and woke up the next morning and everybody was laughing like there was those ones at the house and we're all laughing but I was like I never even spent any time with the girls like I was so excited to see them but I just can't handle this like I just drank in a way and I I don't even think I would never have drank that much as in volume wise 
but it just I couldn't handle like, even any really. So um, I woke up or whenever we were just in the house and they were like, oh, I don't even think you were that bad. But people kept texting me and I had such fear and people kept texting. Oh, I think you're bored now. I, I don't think they'll allow you back. But they were only joking. But I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, what? Like, what? <laughs> what the hell is going on? But um, and then I actually ordered a book that day. I like, typed into Amazon something like, oh, like stopping drinking or whatever. And it was the unexpected joy of being sober. So I bought that book and then I read it. So I read in August, um, I think it was. So it's a brilliant book. So highly recommended, really easy to read. And, and it was really, really good. And it just kind of started to get me thinking differently. So just even, you know, like wine and stuff, like Jerlyn's talking about drinking wine every evening and all, like just about, especially for women, how alcohol is marketed so much um, towards women about wine and new mummies and stuff and, and like pink gin, all, you know, all that kind of stuff. It just really got me thinking so different about um about alcohol and just everything we see like everything's so centered around it so read that and I sort of planted a few seeds and then I um I kind of thought right I'd really I'd love to to never get drunk again like that that would be good wouldn't it like I'll get I'll never get drunk again so then I started trying to just have two or three drinks I find that really 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 hard like it's hard to have your third not be like oh no I'll just have a fourth because whenever you're so used to just drinking away and I think then the looser it gets and you can just totally and and then you're you wake up the next morning it's like oh frig's sake (laughs) the same thing again but um I so then I just thought no I'll just I think one's actually one or two is harder than none so I'll just not bother having any and and then I was kind of like right so do I not drink anymore this is just I honestly was driving myself mad because I was saying right either do or don't but then people's going to be like I'll just take a few just take I thought I was going to get so much peer pressure and I was really like driving myself mad thinking about it for a good few months because so I stopped drinking then on the April so it was about eight months like of sort of um, tearing the thoughts in my head like what am I going to do and then I just said no do you know what take all the thinking out of it I just don't I don't drink and that's it and then so I haven't since it's a year and eight months April 2021 I think it is so yeah but it was just a a lot of stories that is like most condensed I could write a book on on everything but um yeah so and I'm far better off without it so that's good (laughs) yeah fair play to you Uh, there was so much that you said there that I could relate to even going back to when you were 16 17 18 drinking to get wrote off like that was you know and Mm -hmm. I said something similar as well there was no drinking to to enjoy it. It was, uh, and then the longer it went on, it was just normalized. And yeah, yeah. I, I, coming over here, then as soon as I came over here, it was just basically the exact same Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, and could definitely relate to a few of the stuff. I I I'd even go to the pub on my own sometimes, and I know somebody there and just go drinking. Mm-hmm. For it. Yeah, I'm back to you again. To, just uh, was working long hours during the week. Had nothing else to do at the weekend. Mm-hmm. when I'm bored now what else am I going to do yeah definitely you said something else there as well about oh the one or two yeah one or two drinks going out and having one or two totally agree mm-hmm. yeah because it's like when you're going to say you're going to have one or two it's not the same person after two drinks that's exactly yeah you know what and have another one it's it's a different person to 
that said, oh, mm-hmm. I have one or two because the, the drink is affected. You just no control over it. Even I think one is like the dangerous one. You've absolutely no control. And it's like Geraldine saying about anyone who's like an alcoholic or whatever, you absolutely can't. You just, you don't have any. There's no, there's no one, there's no couple of sips or anything. It's, you just don't do it or else mm. you're just down that hole again. I think even two drinks, you could like, oh, you could be talked into a third and then exactly, yeah. it, everything else out the window. So it's just not worth arm, it at all. The arm gets more flexible the more you have. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. <laughs> So um, when when you did quit, what, was it? Were you supported by your your family? What were they like? Your friends? Definitely, yeah. Like like I was saying, I was really really worried, and I don't know why. Like of what people would think, and I I, I think I was really worried about people trying to pressurize me and oh, what are you talking about sure just have a few and and whatever but it's funny because absolutely nobody has like says anything like that to me but I think it's because they know what I'm like that they're all like thank god she's not drinking it's actually this is brilliant like nobody is like oh you'll have two they're like oh my god great and thank god everyone has been so so positive because that was something and and I do feel really sorry like for people who are thinking about it and can't get past that of what people are going to say and and the judge and everything but I think um whenever like I'd read or like read books and listened to things so that really helped me as well of just this is the right decision this is it's totally I'm doing the right thing and talking about it openly with people like I would be like yes I don't drink and like talk away now about it that it's I'm just so comfortable with it and my friend as well I think she's actually on this call too she stopped drinking two months after me so I think me and her together had had such like so much to talk about and we're like god this is brilliant like look at the difference in us and and everything so was really really positive with um everyone around me and I think I just it was one I think we were sitting like in a pub where I was I was somewhere one evening and I was like right because it is the easier option is to drink because it's you're sitting there just and you have to be so present and if there's any awkward situations you have to sit through it like it's there's no escape like that's what I think there's this is it there's you can't escape anything that's going on but I I was kind of thinking god it's it's funny that it's so much more acceptable nearly to be running around here road off or and doing whatever singing away and doing whatever than it is to be sitting just sitting talking like it's it's funny that that's the like the norm normal thing to do is like you know run about full but um and then I just kind of thought no do you know what I'm the bravest person in here because I'm not drinking and everyone else is drinking and I'm sitting here sober so I am the bravest person in this room and that's it so I think my mindset totally changed like no this is I'm I'm right this is great so thank god yeah I was like really strong in my decision and everyone around me was so supportive and see if they hadn't have been if someone had have been in my circle or whatever and had you know trying to pressurize me or or trying to um you know like talk me into it or oh, come on ahead I really really wouldn't have appreciated that at all and I probably wouldn't have bother you know I, I totally would have distanced myself because just that's not kind of what what you want around you you know because it is a hard decision definitely like and obviously like mine isn't coming from an addict point of view or anything like I never you know like no shakes no withdrawals or nothing but it's still a thing that you're making a decision and you want to stick by it so it definitely is good whenever you have people around you that appreciate it but I think being open about it is going to get you know it's you line it out and that's it I'm not drinking I don't drink and then you can't be talked in that it's, it's like a firm decision and nobody can, I think you're taken more seriously then and people wouldn't really try and, and can, you know, persuade you and peer pressure you in that. 
Yeah, sweet. Yeah. Um. So the last question. Um. How was your outside of drinking? How has your life changed uh, since you've had? Uh, it's so so brilliant like the change is unbelievable like see even just motivation wise see even getting up this morning at eight o'clock to come on to this like that would have just been unheard of if I like still drank and stuff like just no motivation to do anything really no energy no just it was just a constant drink hungover full like hungover <laughs> tired like exactly that was just it so and even like job wise and stuff like I never would have even tried to like get a better job or nothing but whenever I stopped drinking I'd so much more energy could go to the gym now absolutely love all that could actually lose weight for the first time in my life and keep it off which is like <laughs> so good but um just everything changed so much more positive of just so much more motivation and I think I'm so much better to be around um, and everyone would say that to me like just far far better and I can actually you can still go out 100% can still go out it's a longer night without a doubt you know you're you're sitting and, and it is sometimes people are so annoying but what, what odds like it's it's only a few hours like it, it's really not that big of a deal is it and um you can drive at home if you want you can just leave but um I think uh, definitely and I don't I wouldn't judge anyone I don't like I think people would know that I wouldn't be sitting like analyzing anyone I couldn't I can't judge anyone ever but um definitely it's just so much more energy and your sleep and all is better it's like there's absolutely nothing negative to say about stopping drinking I couldn't I I can't it's the best thing I've ever done and I wish I had done it years before but thank god like I'm not even 30 so I haven't done too bad <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing all right but yeah so it's, it's the best thing I've ever done and if anyone like is thinking about it or any wee seeds have been planted just stick with it like it's it, it, for me it took eight months literally to to totally go off so that's not it's not an overnight thing but I just think it's the best decision that you could ever make it's there's there's not literally nothing negative to say about it it's so good mm, yeah I and mean, i can definitely relate to the the motivation as well what you, uh -huh. like i have so much more it will the time number one because half half your your saturday is gone because you're getting ready yeah. out and your sunday is wiped out Monday, yeah. Tuesday, wednesday same so when you've got that mm -hmm. you've got so much more spare time and so much more time yeah clarity as well to go I in know. that we actually enjoy doing and want to do and then when we we can see progress then as well when we're not mm -hmm. we can like you know look back six months from now or a year from now and you can see where you progress from versus yeah if you had been drinking definitely yeah oh you have so much more time you don't waste any time you don't waste it sleeping or can't move because you're hungover or, whatever. or even if sitting in a pub like i look back now and think what was I at <laughs> like what a waste of time oh my god mm, absolutely thanks yeah. uh, for, for sharing that with us um so Geraldine I, I just have a couple more questions for you are you there Geraldine yeah so um do you find the the just around Christmas time uh, with everybody else around drinking difficult or how, how do you find it well, I don't know, but I mean, at the beginning, yes, it probably would have been a little bit challenging. I actually spent my first sober Christmas here in Australia. So I stopped in April and it was a massive thing just to get me out to visit Emma, um, just 
basically to show her the new me as such. So I come over here for three weeks um, along with my other daughter. And I mean, I was never tempted because alcohol still terrifies me because um, obviously I was near death with it. But um, you just have to make it interesting, like just touching back very quickly on the non-alcoholic drinks. Like there's a non-alcoholic pub in Dublin and there's one in London just opened now. So AF alcohol free is so trendy now. So many people um, are trying. I just think it's amazing to hear Melissa because she's not 30 yet. And to make that decision, not come from an addict's point of view, but just from wasting your life point of view mm. is brilliant. Well, well, well done to her. But um, really, and truly, I, they're not for me. Alco Non-alcoholic drinks aren't for me simply because I never drank Cahal for the taste of alcohol. I never thought it was lovely. I drank mm. it for the effect. Yeah. You know, and a glass of slur or a glass of elderflower and white lemonade is, is far nicer than any non-alcoholic drink I've tried. So for me, it's not for me. And I think it can be a wee bit dangerous for an addict at the beginning because if it tastes exactly the same and they're not getting the effect, it could maybe tempt them, you know. But certainly for people like Melissa and all and, and anybody that's not an addict, an addict, it's, it's a brilliant thing as well. But you just have to, like, nothing would have... Um, came in the way of my sobriety and I I mean again there there is terrible peer pressure sometimes if you're not going to have a drink especially if you're not being honest so at the beginning I couldn't tell people why I was drinking I was saying I'm an antibiotics and like I'm driving the night you're making excuses and people were always wanting you to have a drink so it was easier for me not to go out and I mm. decided that's it I go for dinner and even yet you won't find me in a pub simply because I can't listen to drunk people it's mm. bloody awful and I'm not judging them because I was that drunk person. But yeah. it's often they're peeking all the time. They're getting all sentimental it's and then start crying. And honest to God, it's just not for me. And my, you know, my husband went to the pub. I go with him for an hour and say, this isn't for me. It either has to be a nice hotel or a nice dinner. And certainly I don't care if everybody's drinking around me. It's not the temptation. It's the listening to drunk people. Yeah. It's not easy, you know. So if you're determined that you're going to give it up, your Christmas will be more beautiful than any other Christmas you've ever had drunk. She, for goodness sake, we can remember nothing about Christmas Day because we start drinking that early, you know? So it's what you're gaining, not what you're giving up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I totally agree in the sense of going to the pub and as soon as people start getting drunk and the spitting starts and it's it's even, it's not enjoyable because it's so loud when you're in the pub uh, and then it's, you're, you're shouting back and it's not even a conversation. Mm. My worst nightmare, Cahill. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm the most sociable person you'll ever meet and you'll find me anywhere. And I can stand up and talk to a thousand people. You know, I don't need alcohol to do any of those things like now, but um, it's torture <laughs> listening to yeah, but I suppose none of us really need it, you know, it's just because we, we got accustomed to it and used it that we started. It, but it's the effect. No, none of us really need it. We're, we're social beings naturally before alcohol was even invented. But anyways, that's another webinar. <laughs> <laughs> so um, last one. So what would you say to somebody who's starting to just have the internal chat with themselves that they might be having a bit too much and they're, they want to wean off it or come off it completely? Well, first of all, I would just say seek help, even, even if it's in confidence. I mean, anybody can contact me. I'm happy to talk to anybody as well. And all you need is just somebody to point you in the right direction. And if you can get yourself, um, just as Joan was saying, you know, in among people that you can see hope with, you can see happy people, you can see bright eyes again, you know, anything that gives you a little bit of encouragement, but don't sit at home suffering 
um, worrying to tell somebody. And I think why we don't want to admit it or tell anybody is because we'll have to stop and we don't know how to stop. You know, so it really is a whole journey. But reach out to somebody and be as honest as you can. Great advice and fair play to you for volunteering as well for if anyone wants to reach out because you'd be a fantastic person to talk to. Absolutely. Um, you can message on here and Una will give you my Instagram handle and you can send me a private message and then, you know, I'll, I'll share my number with people that I feel that I need to, you know, maybe have a wee mm -hmm. video call with or something. I would certainly help anybody out or point them in the right direction, Carol. Yeah, fair play to you, Geraldine. Thanks very much. Pleasure. Yeah. So um, if anyone has any questions um, in the audience, feel free to pop them in the chat box for any of the girls. Um, I have just a question for Joe. Well done to everyone, by the way, just for, for that conversation. That was, that was fantastic. And thank you all for sharing that. Joan, um, is there a dedicated Irish AA group in Sydney? The there is, yes. Um, so it's a, an expats um, AA uh, group that goes, and I think it's a Tuesday night, but I will find the details, Una, and, and, give, and give that to you, because um, that can be a really nice way of, of connecting with other mm -hmm. Irish and Scottish and, 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 yeah. and Welsh and, and the works. So it's, a, it's quite a good uh, group that's run. Um, and I guess the only other thing I I would just want to add is like like um, you know Geraldine and and um, and Melissa was saying if 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 you're uh, if you're struggling with alcohol and it's a problem and you just want to have a chat with it please don't sit and try and do it by yourself because that can be a whole world of pain and it, you go down a rabbit hole that you really don't want to go down. So, you know, reach out for support. Treatment works. Sometimes it takes a few goals um, and, and sometimes different approaches, but um, absolutely. And, I, and uh, similarly, I would be happy for anybody to give me a call if they wanted to steer them in the, in the right direction. Please. Yeah. So, if there's anyone else, you don't have to pop in the chat box. You can come on and talk if if anyone wants any has any questions. Or if not, we can leave it at that. I just have one last question for Geraldine, if I if I may. Yeah. Geraldine, you mentioned that you believe that your alcoholism is genetic. Do you have any concerns? that you're vigilant about now for your own children and your grandchildren? Yes, I, I probably would deep down, but I have learned that there's nothing I can do about that. You know, if some of my family members become alcoholic, I'm just so glad that there's somewhere for them to go and that they will be able to see that it's possible to get better and to get well again. You know, and I do think, and, and sometimes I sit and say, which one of the three is it going to be? You know, and it changes all the time. I think, could it be you? And then, no, it's definitely not. It, it changes. And, you know, to date now, you know, there's no real traits that I can see. But then again, I'm an onlooker. You know, people didn't, didn't see it in me as well. So I do have the only consolation is that there is help out there and that, that they can get it. I do believe that I have an addictive nature as well. You know, mm -hmm. and, and very much at Cambry, you know, hereditary down through families. Yeah. 
Thanks, Charlie. Sweet. Okay. Thanks very much, girls. That was an absolutely amazing chat. Fair play to you. Thank you, Cahill. Thank you. If anybody wants to write to me on Instagram or anything as well, they can. If anyone wanted to, because I love talking about not drinking as well. So <laughs> if anyone ever, you know, anyone thinking about it or anything, absolutely work away. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and we hope that you enjoyed the episode. Please don't forget to rate and review so more people can find us. Until next month.